0: Hey, I'm Stephen Scott from Big Mouth Audio. Welcome to the Creative Leaders Podcast.
1: Okay, John, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Uh, I'm great, thank you. Uh, I'm only a a week back from uh, a holiday. Uh, so I'm just I'm just about to remember my name and uh, where I work and and what I uh, what I do for for a living. It's just slowly coming back. <laughs> <laughs> nice. You, did you go somewhere nice? Uh, yeah, I went to Menorca, which was a, a COVID holiday that had been cancelled, uh, and we went back. And uh, I've never been before. And I, I, honestly, it's uh, it's really beautiful. I mean, I've I've uh, in another life, I was in the military and I travelled around. I was in the navy and I went to lots of beaches uh uh in that job and i have to say that the beaches in menorca delivered they were yeah there's one beach in particular called san saura which is a virgin beach you can't get to it uh there's no services there's just a guy with a wheelbarrow selling melons and and papaya and and just this beautiful beautiful beach uh yeah absolutely loved it it was great sounds perfect sounds a lot better than what the weather's like
0: here in glasgow <laughs> right now um so yeah, we we were just kind of chatting there before we we started recording. So you mentioned there you're in the navy previously and now yeah. now in the kids entertainment industry. Um let's kind of let's kind of <laughs> jump, jump into it and you know give us your origin story tell us, tell us your background and and oh, uh, context.
1: Well, I mean, it's it's it's, conv- it's quite convoluted, isn't it? Uh uh Yes, I, I, I grew up in Plymouth uh, as a young lad. I wanted to be uh, I wanted to be a designer. I wanted to be a graphic art- artist. My portfolio wasn't good enough. And I uh, got, a, got, a, got a no from the Plymouth College of Art, uh, which was very close to the Navy Careers Office. Uh, so I literally, and I regret doing it, but I actually stuffed my portfolio in a bin uh, by Bretonside Bus Station and walked down the road to Union Street and walked into the Navy Careers Office and said, uh, What's going on? And uh, yeah, they offered me a job as a radio operator in the Navy. And so anything to get out of uh, you know, small town syndrome. I lived in a little village just outside Plymouth called Plimpton, and I just wanted to anything really to just to get get away. So I, I joined the, the Navy. I did eight years, went everywhere, spent some time in Hong Kong before the handover and the Gulf and uh, yeah, uh, an incredible, incredible experience. One that I really hated at the time as a young 18 year old man didn't like it at all. But on reflection now, now that the age that I am looking back, I go, well, actually, do you know what? That's, that's pretty cool. It was a pretty cool experience to have, you know, I don't know many 19 year olds who were jumping out of helicopters onto, uh, onto oil tankers in the Straits of Hormuz, uh, like I was, uh, you know, back in the late eighties. Uh, so yeah. uh, And then, and, th- and then I went to uni. I wanted to be in media. I went to uni, went to college, and it's just luck, really. I, I happened to be working with the internet uh, in the very, very sort of mid nineties ninety six ninety seven. So we put uh, we put the student newspaper online. Uh, we messed about with web pages, you know, getting trying to get Netscape up, all that sort of stuff, just stupid stuff that you know didn't think was going to go anywhere. And then obviously, you know, the internet happened. And, uh, yeah, I graduated from uni, went to London, uh, with about two, maybe two years of experience of building content for the web, which was like, you know, two years more experience than anybody else they were interviewing. Uh, and they offered me a job as a, as a content editor or producer, at, uh, at Disney, uh, which was, I didn't even know it was a Disney interview. I just thought it was another one of these, uh, you know, recruiter interviews. I've been to so many. I walked into this building, there was a Mickey Mouse in the foyer and I was like, oh, this is interesting. And I, I, I got offered a job on the spot and I phoned my dad up and said, should I take this job at Disney? And he was like, are you are you, are you stupid? And I was like, uh, what? He goes, yes, obviously take that job. <laughs> so yeah, so that was it really. Uh, yeah, did six years there, uh, which was, I, I, it, just, if you want to understand sort of marketing and entertainment and that whole world. There aren't many better places in the planet to pitch up at and just learn everything, you know, about that world and that space. So I did six years and then I left uh, and set up Jollywise in 2006 uh, to pay the mortgage, really. It was just me and one other girl called Kath at the time, and then the company sort of grew and grew and grew, and we're, we're about 23, 24 people now. Uh, and yeah, and every day's different. Every day's different. I, I, I do love it. It's uh, digital is just such a fun space to work, to work in, especially in the kids space, because you're always, kids are early adopters. So you're always trying to like, what's the new, new thing that kids are into? And how can we, how can we be there? Uh, how can we be there? How can we know it? How can we learn it? So that when clients come knocking and saying, Hey, have you heard of this, uh, you know, this new Roblox thing, you're like, Oh yeah, we, we we're aware of it. Yeah. We know about it. Uh, so yeah, uh, that's kind of I think the one thing I would say to anyone listening in terms of like origin stories is for vo- I volunteered for everything as a, as a, as a kid, uh, anything that was going, I put my hand up for and said, yeah, I'll have a go. And, and I think what, what happens? I think there's something magical in the universe. When you volunteer and put yourself out there for anything, what happens is you end up more often than not finding yourself in the right place at the right time. Uh, I think if you don't, if you just sit there and don't volunteer for anything, don't sort of chuck your hat in the ring. Uh, I think life has a sort of a habit of just kind of just sort of bypassing you. Uh, but if you're sort of there willing, uh, yeah, just things seem to sort of happen. It's it's a weird, 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 weird thing.
0: Yeah, no, I totally, I totally agree with that. It's a mixture of kind of creating your own luck, but also just putting putting stuff out there. And you know, the more you put it out there, eventually it kind of comes back on you, doesn't it? Um, yeah, it does. So, you, you you mentioned there, every day is different um, at Jolly So, for for those who aren't one hundred percent familiar, tell us a little bit about. Uh, jolly wise as a company the kind of clients that you serve
1: and the work that you do sure so uh so we play at that intersection between sort of family children entertainment and education that's kind of the place we like to play the most so we're quite thankful that a lot of the work that we do these days is very sort of purpose-driven uh so uh you know the world's changed a lot and a lot of brands have realized that actually if they want to kind of if, if they want to kind of resonate with the consumers of today and tomorrow, they need to be demonstrating that actually there's a bit of purpose behind their brand. They're not just about selling the next thing. So, so that what that's meant is that we've managed to get to, to work on some really great brands, but do some really really interesting stuff. So, the kind of clients that we work with uh, on a regular basis, we do we, we do a lot of work for the BBC. We're on their roster. We're one of a handful of of, of games companies that. That make content with purpose for for those guys, but we also work with Disney, uh, Warner Media, uh, Nickelodeon, uh, Universal, uh, Milkshake. uh, I'm just trying to think who else. uh, PBS in the US, uh, and then a whole host of other kind of companies and brands that want, to, uh, I guess, tell stories in a maybe slightly different way, uh, interactively or, or, or through gaming. I mean. Right now, if you've got a cross-section of what's going on in the studio at the moment, we've got, we're have got we building a game for uh, young children about their feelings for Sesame Street. Uh, we're in the middle of building a huge climate uh, campaign for Warner Media, trying to encourage kids to take more uh, – well, kids want to be more active in the climate uh, change conversation, so we're building tools to help them to do that. Uh, we're, we're working on uh, a new uh, movie for Disney, which is coming out in October. Uh, and we're in the middle of building a game all about football for the, the BBC. Uh, that's just off the top of my head. Amazing.
0: So why children's media? Why why that industry?
1: Um, what, what attracted you to It's so that? much fun. It's so much fun. I'm a massive kid. Uh, i really haven 't grown up if you ask my wife uh, actually ask any, ask my kids uh, i I just you know it's i don 't know if it's like just a flat refusal to 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 want to grow to grow up a little bit but it's it 's such a serious industry uh as well as it being so fun i mean i don 't i can 't think of more important things to be doing than kind of encouraging and educating and uh inspiring the next generation of 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 human beings uh, so yes yeah, so you get to play in that space all the time and every day is different you know it's you know one day you're building a, a game for Paddington Bear that's got to work on a remote control on a sky TV and uh, you know and the next day you're you know you're building an app that's trying to encourage kids to take more responsibility for the climate you know and then in and around that you're doing all sorts of you know daft stuff for social media for for Disney or whatever so yeah I mean it beats Building pension calculators, uh, you know, or you know, no offense to anyone who, who's whose core business is doing that, it's just not us. Uh, we have a kind of a vision. One of our visions and values at Jolly Wise is, uh, is is if we can't find the fun in the in the work that we're doing, then we won't we won't do it, and and we we sort of stick to that. If we, we sit around and we'll go, does this smell and look like fun? And they go, no, it doesn't. We go, well, let's not do it then, because life's too short. It really is too short to be working on. Just drudging through stuff that you just can't bear. Yeah, hundred percent. Is and is is that a a core
0: value that you've always had from day one? Um, you know, a lot of people listen to this. You know, might might be thinking to themselves, "I'd love to get to that position where we can effectively say no to projects that just don't resonate with us." Have you? Have you? Were you in a position when you started out where you perhaps had to take on projects that weren't? fulfilling
1: yeah. Yeah. oh god yeah i mean so when i started in 2006 we were pretty much we would do anything for anyone you know i mean i mean i'm not saying we built websites for arms dealers or to, or you know tobacconists or anything like that but there was a kind of a uh, we had a we had a we had a talented team of people who had a very very sort of diverse skill set so we could do lots of different things uh but it made us miserable, and it sort of made us sad. I remember going up to Southampton once on a train, sitting in a in a client meeting with a let's say a financial services company that I won't name, where we were going through a two hundred bullet point scope of work, where it was like twelve point one point A user is logged in, twelve point one point B user is logged out. Yeah, and, we were, and I'm just sitting there looking at the ceiling tiles, going, "What am I doing here? What this is just this just sucks." I hate this. And then unfortunately I had a kidney transplant, uh, in 2014. Uh, I was diagnosed with kidney disease. So, uh, I had two years of being rather poorly. And then I sort of just dropped off a cliff and I needed a transplant. Uh, my wonderful sister gave me a kidney, which uh, obviously I can't, there's just not enough words in the, in the English dictionary to, to thank her with, uh, But when I came back to work, having had nearly a year out, I just had a complete mindset change. I was just like, actually, I'm, I'm, I'm here for a good time, not a long time. And I just don't want to be doing this kind of crap. I want to do the stuff that I really enjoyed. And when I was at Disney, I I spent almost all my time making content for kids. That's what we did, you know? Uh, And I was like, that's what we want to do. So let's just do that. So and when I say kids, it's not always kids, you know, it, it, it can be brands that are family orientated in some way who have a, have a children's and families kind of play or a, uh, so there's a, there's a, we're working at the moment on a brief from uh, an energy company. Uh, they do a lot of, it's all renewable energy uh, from, from solar. Uh, they're coming down next week. Uh, and obviously that's not a kid's specific brand, but what they're looking at is like, Okay, we're going to have a captive audience at our forecourt for thirty minutes to an hour while people charge their car. How can we entertain and educate the the young passengers in the vehicle when they're sitting around for an hour? Uh, so it's that kind of kids, family, educate, entertainment, e- entertainment, that place where we play it cuts across so many verticals. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of so. It, where I want to take the business is, yeah, I would like to do more of that stuff across other verticals, you know, cause uh, you know, the entertainment industry is fun. It really is. But I think there are places that we can play where we can bring that magic and that fun to different uh, sectors. If, if you like.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, I mean, it's quite a responsibility there as well, isn't there? You know, um, even in the entertainment space, but then if you're talking about different verticals as well, um, you know, kids and family and kids and family brands it is such a fun space to play in but there's there's definitely an element of, of responsibility there as well um we were kind of talking before we started recording about the work that you know you've done and jolly wise have done when it comes to uh, inclusivity di- diversity um and obviously we want to talk about that so how do you sort of implement that uh, in terms of industry and in terms of of uh, content and representation?
1: Well, I mean, I mean, in in terms of content content, just generally, I mean, it, it, it's just expected now. Uh, you know, it's it, it's not something that uh uh it's not something you can get away with. It's not something that you know. It's uh, that sort of that. I don't know. I I call it like a veil on over people's eyes. It's not, it's not like willful ignorance historically. A lot of it is just because it's just not people's lived experiences. If you live in like West Sussex, you know uh, you know, the, the, the the chances of you coming across a, a very diverse audience or you know, or, or, or living in an environment that has a diverse uh, group of people, it's quite it will be quite rare, you know, compared to somebody who maybe living lives in you know you know in the Har- Har- in Haringey or in in Bradford or Leeds where I actually grew up as a kid. So 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 a lot of the big brands have kind of so Nickelodeon, for instance, they have a no diversity, no commission sort of policy where actually not only is a representation got to be on screen, but it's also got to be behind behind the the screen as well. So not only, you know, so if you're going to be writing black characters, then you have to have black writers. If you're writing neurodiverse characters, you have to have a neurodiverse writer. Uh, the representation on screen has to be, you know, has to be the right, a right mix. You know, it's, so it's, so all that sort of stuff's changed. So it's not really, it's not something we need to, we don't really work hard at doing it anymore. It, it, it's just, a, it's just a given, you know, and, you know, I'm a parent with two, two two children 17 and 13 you know and i mean we've i've learned so much from from them as a, as a parent growing up and just seeing that I, their journey and and what what what's what they consider to be acceptable what they don't consider to be acceptable you know and it, it, it so i think the world's i'd like to hope that the the world is moving on uh you know uh quickly i mean there's still lots and lots of issues to resolve but i think you know where we were five years ago in the children's media industry to where we are today is a very, diff- I think, it's a very different, very different place. Uh, same with children's publishing as well. I mean, in 2017, I think it was something like one percent of all children's illustrators in the book publishing industry were were a, a, a BAME. Uh, that's that's improved dramatically. Uh, I'm sure you know if you are an illustrator. Uh, who's uh who's black uh, you probably want to see even more change than that but it it's 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 moved it's definitely moved
0: yeah it's uh it, it certainly has i mean i was I was telling you sort of earlier on about when in about 2015 when we we saw the opportunity to um create original kids audio content because there just wasn't anything being produced being made for children with uh who were you know in our case children who were uh, visually impaired or children who were hard of hearing and obviously there's you know this content that is adapted um but in terms of creating something with that audience in mind first and actually you know putting your money where your mouth is and making it really good um then there just wasn't anything like that happening at the time uh, or at least you know as far as we could see um and it definitely does seem to be to be moving
1: forward now, which is great. But still, a lot to be done.
0: Yeah, um, yeah so t- tons,
1: t- tons to be done. Absolutely, absolutely tons, tons to be done. But you know, it, I mean, I mean, working when you work with companies like the BBC, I mean, the BBC make you better as a as an organisation. Uh, obviously, they're enormous and they have uh, very deep pockets, and they're able to throw lots of people at lots of sort of you know issues and problems so but just in terms of like the like briefs that you get from the BBC now in terms of what they expect to to see in the response that you give them but they've spent a lot of time thinking about uh you know diversity neurodiversity uh you know uh this different types of disability so any game or interactive that you deliver back to the BBC these days has to hit at least one of their their, their diversity pillars in terms of like, you know, is it if you're partially sighted or blind or you're, or you're deaf or, you know, you have a, you have a physical disability of some description, everything that you deliver has to hit at least one of those core pillars, you know, the, the, the dream and, you know, the gold standard is to deliver something that hits all of them. Uh, that's really difficult. Uh, but, you know, so there's, and what that does is that kind of feeds into the production processes here. So... Yes, we're doing a work for the BBC, but if we're getting a job from Nickelodeon and we're getting a job from Disney or from Sesame, that all that all that legwork, all that all those, all those hard yards that we've put in on some of the BBC content over the years, it sort of pays dividends because it's it's part of our DNA. It's not it's part of our process. It's we you know, we don't, it's not, we're not getting clients coming to you saying, Oh, have you, you know, are there – is everything you're designing, uh, you know, is it is it in line with sort of color blindness, uh, you know, uh, regulations and you know, and and it's like, yeah, that's that's a that's a standard. Do we use sort of dyslexic friendly fonts? Yes, we do. It's it's all this stuff that we we you know, it's what what you know, it's what it's part of our secret sauce as 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 a as a children's agency. I think is that you know, it, it's there are lots of people out there who say they can do kids content, but we've been doing it for sixteen years and we really know what we're doing.
0: Is there why do you think um, that it it resonates so much with you as a business owner? Um, it's obviously something we need more often in the industry. It's obviously uh, you know a very important issue. But why? You know, there's there's lots. What we're trying to say is there's lots of studios and, and business owners there who it who are, it, it's maybe more of an afterthought for, or it's more a case of the client then has to come to them and say that we need you to make sure that you know, you're, you're representing this group and this group, but again, you know, having, having chatted to you previously, it's, it's obviously something that's, that's, that that resonates with you a lot more than perhaps does with other studio owners. Why, you know, why is that?
1: I don't, Stephen, to be honest, I don't, I don't really know. I mean, when, when I started on the Secret Story Draw campaign, which is a, a, an inclusion and diversity campaign that I started up with the the children's media industry. I, I am I'm quite well connected, without sounding like a like a like a dickhead. I'm not. I, I have I have quite a good connect, uh, quite a good network, but not brilliant. Uh, so I started off with this campaign. So I'm, I'm I'm white. If you hadn't noticed, so I, here I am going. I want to do something about inclusion and diversity, uh, and then immediately stopping and going. Well, actually, this is a bit worrying. Am I going to kind of you know? Am I going to get like? Sort of labeled, sort of white savior complex, and all this. So I phoned up people like Darren Narty, who's uh, you know is a commissioning editor at ITV and is black, and said, "Look, sh- should I be even like considering doing something like this?" And he was like, absolutely, mate. You know, you know, you're it's about allyship, and you know, it says that you're absolutely the right person to do it. So having someone like him, kind of, you know, sort of put his sort of shoulder his uh, his shoulder into me and say, yeah, "You can do it." So we we sort of we sort of started off with that, but I sort of approached it with a view because to answer your question, I wanted to understand what, you know, like I'm, I'm a white guy. What's, you know, I, I'm never going to be able to understand the lived experience of someone who's black or Brown. I'm just not, but I wanted to understand what everything. So you, so I went, and I interviewed and I spoke with loads and loads of people in the industry about it. Uh, and, and so this is a bit of a woolly sort of an uh, analogy, but, when my wife was pregnant, when she fell pregnant, uh, up until then, I hadn't seen a pregnant person anywhere. I just was completely blind to it. So, And then the minute that Sarah told me she was pregnant, I saw women with bulges everywhere, push chairs. It was just all of a sudden, like my lived experience had changed. A veil had been lifted, and I saw it everywhere. And and the, and the moment you recognize that actually there is a there's a disparity in society and, you know, representation – isn't where it should be. You see it, you see it everywhere. You just start to see it everywhere. You watch university challenge and you're like, well, why is there like four, four white kids on that team and four white kids on that team? And, you know, and and so it, it, so why does, why is it so important? I think it's because I can just, I just, I just, I just see it everywhere, you know? And it's like, well, if it's not difficult to, it's not difficult to include, all of that, whether whether it's you know whether it's neurodiversity or it, or it's you know it's ethnic diversity or whatever, if it's something you can add in, it's something you know, uh, or not even add in, it's something you can start with. Then I think you're in a in a good place. And I also have a very young team now, and that's an expect that's just that's just an expectation now of of people that come to work for for businesses. You just you just you can't get away with that kind of old modality of of, of thinking, you know.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: So true. Am I, crapping, am I crapping on a bit, bit much here? Sorry. No, no, not at all. That's no,
0: uh, it's it's amazing how you know you were kind of saying there. I've got I've got three kids, and my sort of middle child is neurodiverse. He, he was diagnosed uh, with autism. Autism spectrum disorder, about a year ago or something.
1: And, um, That's interesting. My 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 uh, my Ellie, my my thirteen year old. We got the diagnosis just before we went on holiday. So she is uh, really right. She's also autistic, uh, and uh, I mean, we thought about we thought she had been for a while, uh, but we got the, the the yeah, we got the full report the other day, and right. uh, yeah, it's interesting because she's she's going through uh, unmasking phase at the moment. Right is. It's challenging as a parent because it's uh, a lot of the things that she was probably avoiding or masking or, uh, of sort of, she's like, actually, I'm free to, to, to be my full authentic self now. And actually I am going to, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to put my foot down about things that I don't like or don't want to do. So, and you know, two weeks in holiday where with a, with a newly sort of diagnosed autistic 13 year old girl, uh, who's going through puberty and as wants to own her condi- own own it was <laughs> it was challenging at times. And anyone out there that's or who's got an autistic child, including you, I, I hope sort of recognises what it, what it is I I mean. Yeah, hundred I, percent. I, I mean, we're
0: you know, I guess you know, you could say we were fortunate that you know, Lewis is. Uh, three you know so he was you know he, he was about two 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 and a half when when you got the initial diagnosis um you know so that's that's been fortunate enough that we well, can that's really young
1: right uh, yeah yeah did, I mean, how did you how did how was that did you is that something you guys picked up on or was it like is it was it yeah did it come up in- well, it was. It was probably about
0: a year and a half. You know, up, up until he was about a year and a half, he was developing. You know, very, very typically. Uh, you know, he was, he was talking and um, and and you know, just doing everything that a, year, a one one and a half year old should do. Um, and then, I mean, I don't know if there's there's any correlation. I don't want to sort of uh, start any conspiracies here, but you know, it, you know, it was it was during lockdown. Our whole family got COVID. And then from that point, it was about two, three months where he just he wasn't the same child at all. Um, and then he never he never returned, and you know he stopped speaking. Um, he, he started developing, uh, uh, you know, stemming um, different types yeah. of stims, You know, yeah. and yeah, I mean, very, very clearly, um, you know, dis- displaying. You know signs and symptoms of autism, and you know, like like many parents, you know, I guess we were possibly in a bit of denial and things at first, and then eventually, you know, maybe f- people around his family members, maybe sort of gently, sort of suggested something might be there, and 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 then yeah, you know, it took him to 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 see specialists, and then he got his initial diagnosis, and he, he just had his sort of full diagnosis there uh, last week. Um, All right. Okay.
1: So, well, I mean, there, is a, there was something that the child psychologist that, that, that worked with Ellie uh, told us, uh, uh, which it gave us quite, well, gave me quite a lot of comfort in terms of, so autism is something that you are, you're born with. It's not something you, de- you develop. It, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's sort of, you know, it's, it's uh, genetic. It's, it's, it's passed down through. Uh, so that, you know, we looked into it and actually I've got some autistic cousins uh, on my my dad 's side and grace and sarah 's got some you know some autism in in her uh, her side, but one of the things that they say one of the one of the kind of hypotheses that a lot of psych- child psychologists subscribe to with sort of neurodiversity just generally uh, autism is one thing but actually that uh, it 's been prevalent in society since the since the dawn of time, and actually how we 've how civilization has kind of grown and ordered itself is because You've you've had to have sort of neurodiverse uh, people in any kind of social group, because otherwise, you know, you, we wouldn't we wouldn't have achieved half of what we've achieved. You wouldn't have the kind of the great thinkers or the the creatives or the you know all of those you know. Which is to get I get a bit of comfort from actually that you know that 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 I'm going to hang on to that one. That that feels like you know that sounds like great. If, that, if that's the if that's the that's the case, you know. Uh, so yeah, it's interesting, isn't
0: it? It is. Yeah, yeah. And I, 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 I kind of subscribe to a similar sort of frame of mind around that as well. It's um, especially especially when you look to the future and you think about things like AI and all that kind of stuff. And I just feel like those kind of unique thinkers, people, and you know, it's, as you were saying there, you know, historically, you know, people with autism are they have a unique way of seeing the world. And I think that's, you know, a trait that is going to be more and more valuable to society. Um, as we go forward, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. And it's, you know, what, you know, the the reason I mentioned it was, you know, once, once we had a child who was diagnosed, you see, you do see it everywhere. Whereas previously I, I really was ignorant to, I didn't know anything about it. I didn't, you know, I didn't really see it out in the world, and now, and now I see it everywhere, and I I, I know how common it
1: yeah, is. Do. <laughs> you do. But yeah. especially when you talk to parents, and they're saying, oh, you know, such and such is, oh, I can't believe she's done this, or they've done this, or, oh, she's behaving like this right now, and, oh, you know, and you just, you're thinking, mm, you know, if you, you know, if you were, uh, you, you know, you might want to, like, just go and have a look at some of the, you know, some of the literature out there on- online and just, you know, that's how we, we, we just, we just, we just went down, just found this questionnaire that a friend had recommended to us. And we sort of went down and we were like, God, this, this is, this is Ellie. Like tick, 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 tick. And then we gave it to her to, to, to fill in, but we removed the word autism from any, any of it. And we gave it to her and she went, is this an autism questionnaire? We were like, uh, yeah. She's like, yeah, I thought it was. Well, I am. And I'm like, Right, okay, cool. Well, we, we we don't know that, you know. So actually her reaction when we were told, we told her that like, she'd been diagnosed as officially autistic, she went, yes, like that. So she really, yeah, she was really pleased about it because I think it all just gave her, yeah, not closure, but it kind of gave her like a, right, that's, that's what this is. Actually, you know, I can authentically say now at school, I've got autism. And that's why I'm behave the way I do at times. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. No, it's it's it is interesting. It's great to see more more content producers and, and and creators kind of you know thinking about these things and and uh, you know representing these things and creating content that fits around the lives of, of these people and these kids. Um. So, we we want to talk about. Uh, your your journey into original IP. Um and I, I think we should jump into that just now because we could probably talk forever about that. Yeah. Um so so tell us about so the, the the IP that you have developed and recently had commissioned, Stan and Gran?
1: Yeah that that one. This, that
0: one there, yep, yep. Yeah. So I guess the best thing to do is just kind of take us right back to the start and tell us about this this journey Um, because a lot of people that listen to this podcast myself included um, will you know will go through this journey have been through this journey will be starting this kind of journey of you know developing their own original content and looking to to get it commissioned and you know one thing that you know I picked up on you know over the years of going to CMC and kids screen and things like that is if you want to go into that space it's incredibly difficult it takes a an incredibly long time um and the chances are pretty slim um but we have a very positive uh case study here so yeah i mean take us through I, I, that journey.
1: I wouldn't disagree with anything you just said uh, i mean uh i did i'm, I'm not a prolific linkediner but I, I do use i go on linkedin quite a lot and I, I recently posted an article about what i like to call the sort of four the four p's before i kind of get into the right like, how we standing ground came about, but like the four Ps for me, it, it, it's, it's it, it, patience is, is, is number one. You have to be really, really patient. And when I say patient, you need to have something else to be doing. You can't just, that's not, I can't just be your thing. I want to get a kid's TV show made and that's it. Cause you're just going to, you will go mad uh, and, or, and you'll be broke because, there's, you know, so you need to have, so patience, you need to have passion for it. You know, you really need to be passionate about the idea because it it it, came, it might be seven years, uh, you know, from having that idea on a beach in Cornwall to actually it becoming a thing, if ever. So you need to be really passionate about it. Otherwise, you're just, you know, there's just no point even starting. Uh, and then I think, uh, uh, what's the other one I had? Uh, per- I can't remember the other, the other one, but, but the other, but the third one is people and you need to surround yourself with, with human beings that, that share the other P's that you, you, you know, to be pers- to be patient and to be, you know, to, be pers- to persevere and to also have the passion because they're the people that see you through. You know, they're the ones that kind of help you, help you through and, 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 and keep you going. Cause if you haven't got, you don't surround yourself with people that are passionate about the project you've got, then yeah, you, it's very hard to sustain to sustain that so so Stan and ground itself is a i would say semi autobiographical uh i i uh it's a love letter to my grandma really so my my, my nana marsh my oh, nana wow. mason uh so i i remember as a young kid spending quite a lot of time with her being out in the countryside with her she used to throw me into blackberry bushes and uh, into hedges and point out wildlife to me and 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 and, uh, and press flowers and, and all of this this sort, of, this sort of stuff. Uh, and it you know and it really, really sort of resonated with me. Uh, and then I was a dad and I've got kids and they spend a lot of time with my mum, their grandma. So the show's really at in, in, in its core. It's an intergenerational show about the, the love between a young seven-year-old boy called Stan and his grandma, uh, Graham, uh, and the adventures that they go on. Uh, Stan is this kind of irre- irrepressible... Uh, optimist about all he wants out of life is to spot things and, and, and seek out mystery uh, in his little town that he he lives in. So it's, it's almost like that kind of idealized 1970s childhood that I had, where it was like, I had, I was free to roam where I wanted to roam on my BMX, go and explore the things I wanted to explore, uncover the mysteries and all of that, all of that. Uh, So it's, so it's really resonated with when we pitched it, it resonated because, uh, there are there aren't that many shows that sort of celebrate that intergenerational relationship between g- uh, grandparents and and their and their, their kids. There's, there's a few out there, but but mo- but our grand is really uh, like when other grands might be laying in their armchair, you know, doing the knitting or nodding off. My our grand is out skydiving or parachuting or scuba diving or, or whatever. So it's it's trying to represent old people in a, in a, in a, in a more positive light a bit, you know, not the sort of stereotype sort of old sort of relic. I, I want them to be, I want our ground to be really sort of vital. So, so that, that's kind of how it, it, it came about. And then we, we, we had also, I mean, the vi- my vision is to try and get kids to go outside and spend more time out in the, out in, out in the world, exploring the mysteries that are just on their doorstep because, you know the planet's going to hell in a handcart, and if we don't get the next generation to fall in love with the planet that that's currently got a terminal illness, uh, then we we ha- we haven't got a lot of hope. So that that's kind of the vision is to try and encourage young people and their parents to step outside their front door and go on adventures like Stan and his grand do. So that's the you know that's the the big the big vision for
0: it. So so take us then to the. The start off. um you've, you've got the concept. You've got got the idea. What what's your first? What's your first move uh, when you have that? Did you start piecing together? You know, like a bible, a one page characters, or you know, we, what's your first step once you kind of have that concept or that idea?
1: So what what we did was rather unusual. So what me and uh, Daz, the illustrator, did was we. uh we wanted to make a book that we could put under the Christmas tree uh, at the, at the end of our kind of labors. We were like coming up with the idea and what the world would look like and the characters and all of that. And then we, I wrote a very simple story, which was featuring Stan and Graham and their adventures in, in, and we, we did loads of concept art and we put it all in this book. We self-published it. We didn't publish it, publish it. We just had it printed ostensibly 24 copies. And we put them under the tree and I had that in my bag when I went to kids Cream along with, uh, I would say, sort of very lo- loose story beats of of the world with all the other characters in it. So Stan, Gran, Gran, the baddie, uh, the, uh, and then we added some other stuff in as, as we went. But I had that book and some artwork with me, and I just showed it around to a couple of people. I didn't pitch it. I didn't go, hey, we've got the next big, you know, and all of that stuff, because it just makes me want to throw up. Uh, seeing people pitch it's, it's horrendous I mean I, I props to anyone who can sort of pitch I mean you know there's a guy called Adam Redfern who is a writer and he rehearsed his pitch to me and it was amazing it was absolutely brilliant and he was full of energy and enthusiasm and fun and laughs and I was like wow I'd buy that show tomorrow you know and uh yeah and I don't think he had much success at his first market pitching like that so you know I don't know you know I don't know what you do uh, when it comes to sort of that. So I just showed it around a little bit and I showed it to one person in particular and they burst out crying, uh, at the artwork. And they was like, Oh my God, this kid is so gorgeous. So delightful. Reminds me of my son. Uh, can, uh, can you send me it? So I sent it to them. And then when we got back from kid screen, uh, yeah, they, they said, look, we want to make it into a TV show. Would, can we come on board as your co-production partner? And I was like, yeah, sure. I hadn't really pitched it around. I didn't go pitching it around to all the, you know, there's this thing for anyone who who doesn't know about kids IP, but I'm sure this is a familiar thing for you, Stephen, but there is, there's this, there's this kind of, it's just almost, it's, it's, it's this kind of conundrum. Uh, so you go to a broadcaster. So you go, you line up PBS, BBC, Nickelodeon, Sky, whoever it is. You line them up and you get the meetings in. If you get the meetings in, you go along and you pitch and your show's amazing. And they go, This show's brilliant. Love this show. Who's your co production partner? You go, I, I've, oh, I haven't got one. Right. Okay. Well, look, come back when you've got a co production partner. But yeah, we love it. We love it. Cool you go on the other side, you decide you're going to go pitch those co-production partners. You're going to go pitch all these big studios, your blues, your Ardman's, your jellyfishes, whoever. And you go, look, check out the, the, the show. And they go, Oh, this show this is great. This is fantastic. We love this. This is really, Oh, we could definitely see us making this. Yeah, we could do this mm-hmm. actually. Yeah. Who's your broadcaster? I haven't, uh, mm, I don't have, have a broadcaster. It'll come back when you've got a broadcaster. So then you're sort of stuck in this kind of hinterland, where you've got co-production partners who love it, but you haven't got a broadcaster. You've got broadcasters who love it, you haven't got a co-production partner. So you have to sort of figure out how to kind of you know, like wiggle yourself out of that hinterland, uh, you know, by uh, trying to convince either a broadcaster or a co-production partner to just just to take a punt, you know. To, to really sort of take a punt, and jellyfish did, and then you've got you've got distributors as well in the middle of all that now as well, where distributors are also making their own IP as well. So it's it's a you know, and then you have got sh- sh- you know sh- the streamers are, are, are there now as well, and yeah, it's a real yeah, it's a <laughs> it's yeah, it's it's a it yeah, it's like going into battle, you know uh, yeah yeah like it's yeah you've got to have your, your game face on. You really have, and you've got to sort of, you know, be quite strategic yeah. about, uh, you know, all of that. Yeah.
0: It's a it's a complicated old business, isn't
1: it? It is a complicated business. But, yeah, so Jellyfish came on board. They were like, yeah, we want to be a co-production partner. And then we started to work on the Bible again a bit more together, and uh, and then we were sort of – we went out sort of pitching it together. And when you've got a co-production partner with you who've got a track record of making TV – all of a sudden, that kind of gives you this, like almost this sort of super, this armor, where you're like, they're not, you're not. All of a sudden, imposter syndrome, where you look, they're looking at you, going, well, you can't make a TV show, can you? You're just far too you. Who, who's going to make the show for you? You go, well, I'll, well, 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 these guys are, you know. or well, what have they done? Well, they've made, you know, they they've done Star Wars and they've done Dennis and Nasha and they've done the Flugels and they've done. Oh, okay, right, yeah, they're they're a serious production company. Yeah, we've worked with them before. Uh, so that you know, that's sort of, that's what you're hoping for is to get somebody that sort of, you know, somebody that broadcasters know and like, and have worked with before and trust. So that actually, you know, they might not know you, they might think you're the, you know, the crazy guy, but if you, if you manage if the crazy guy's managed to convince these guys, then, you know, that's a tick in the box.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. It's funny how we were talking earlier about how, how small the, the, the kids and family industry actually is and
1: is has- absolutely tiny. It really is tiny. You have to be, yeah. It's not. I don't think it's a place for incredibly outspoken human beings. Uh, I think you know. I think if you can be outspoken, if you're actually righteous, but if you're just gobbing off for the sake of it, you know, or you're, you know, you've had a bad experience. I just think you just got to keep your powder dry, because there's probably somebody who's had an equally shit experience with somebody and word just gets around, you know, but if you're going to be one of those people that's just, you know, has no problems, just hanging shit on somebody, uh, you get found out really quickly in this industry. And, you know, I know I wants to work with you, you know, it's why the industry's full to the brim of really nice human beings. And, uh, you know, having worked at places like Disney, you know, uh, uh, which is a, a lovely company to work with, but you are exposed to people that maybe aren't as aren't as warm and fluffy as the as the kids as the kids businesses, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah. Ever
1: go ever go and try and uh, ever go to a uh, like a procurement meeting with Tesco's when they're uh, like you know deciding which uh, which which toys are going to take for Christmas. I mean, God, those guys are brutal. <laughs> you know, they really don't take any prisoners, you know, and it's like. Yeah, that's not the that's not a business I want to be in. No, really, no. Just,
0: you know. I know, it's it's. I have to say, um, you know, CMC every year and kids screen, it's it's just such a particularly. I think I always think CMC. There's just such a nice kind of vibe, you know, around around Sheffield. You know, when when you go there and and you know the people in that in that industry, it's you know it's very kind of laid back and and. Yeah, just just nice, nice to be around. Yeah,
1: it's weird, isn't it? I think uh, it's not weird. I, I, everyone genuinely wants you to do well. I think because the children's media industry is like this kind of, this kind of, this sort of ecosystem that only really survives if everyone does does okay. So you know, so yes, you someone might have got a commission that you someone might have got a commission by a broadcaster that you have been to, and you're like, you look at their show and going, well, why did they take that show up? Not mine or whatever, but you have to remember as a once your show's kind of commissioned, what that does is it kind of opens up this, uh, this ecosystem. So you've now got a show that's commissioned, and now so you've got like you've got writers that you, that, that are looking for work that can now get work, and, and illustrators and animators and art departments, and so it's this kind of you know, it it yeah it's yeah it sort of it, you know it sort of opens up an opportunity for people to to actively get to get to get working, and I think. That's something that I'm only starting to come to get my head around now is actually, you know, been pitching this idea and then this idea, and then all of a sudden now we've got it actually as a world of, you know, human beings that are now going to attach themselves to this project in a really beautiful way, you know, directors and head writers and writers and, and, you know, lead viz dev people and illustrators and animators and, 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 and all that stuff. And it's it to me, it's so exciting. It's, you know, it, you know, so what I wrestle with day to day now is like, how do I run, uh, this place, uh, you know, and, and everybody out there in the, in the production office and, and, and also honor and be a hundred percent there and committed to, to, to that, you know, which keeps me awake at night. I think a bit just thinking about that sometimes.
0: Yeah, I bet it does. I mean, what, what's your, your, uh, when it comes to standing, um, standing ground, what, what do you kind of see your involvement being, you know, how, how, how involved do you imagine you would be in terms of story script, all that kind of stuff, or is it more of a, do you think it be more of a kind of showrunner role where it's just kind of, you know, overseeing all those different types of people or.
1: I think somewhere in the middle, I, I'm, 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 going to be, I'm exec producing. So I think you can be as hands on or as hands off as you want in that, in that role, but obviously, because it's original, original, eg, it's not based on a, an optioned book or anything. It's come out of my head, and it's part of it's my li- part of it's my lived experience, and quite a lot of, I say, quite a lot of me or people I know are, in, inhabit some of the characters in that show. Uh, it's not to say that you know writers and aren't going to bring like a whole host of magic to it, but I'm definitely going to need to be around uh, at the start. Once we get the once we get the skeleton of this thing and the bones of it and the structure of it together, uh, yeah, you know, there's, but then there's a whole host of other things. I mean, the standing ground as a as a, I mean, broad broadcasting. I mean, we could talk for hours about the state of uh, terrestrial broadcasting, which we don't have time for, and and where streaming is and and where gaming is and where where the audience is these days. But I think a lot of people now are, are seeing very much. TV shows now as, as part, of a, part of an overarching IP strategy. It's not, I've got the TV show done, TV show done, I'm done. You know, this is on TV. It's actually, well, it's on TV, but actually what's the Roblox play going to be? What's the digital play going to be? What's the apps play going to be? What are the games plays going to be? I think there's a guy, Evan Shapiro, talks about this. Uh, I don't, I don't, I'm probably getting paraphrasing him really badly, but it's like, uh, it's like it's, and what else? That's what your, your consumers are now asking. It's like, and what else? Okay. So where I The minute standing grounds on, on air on milkshake, an eight year old turns, uh, goes to his, his laptop or is it always, uh, not his laptop, his iPhone. He's going to want to find standing ground in other places that he spends his time in, you know, and if it's not there, He's gonna want they're gonna to wanna to know why. Why isn't you know, it's like an it's like everywhere all at once. Like that's the strategy. And I think there is just isn't the money or the budget for that kind of conversation. We used to talk about 360 a lot in the children's media industry. You probably remember that, Stephen, like what's with three sixty, and actually what that usually meant, and people might uh, come after me for this, for what I'm gonna say, but For me, as a digital uh, expert, 360, to me, was usually just a, can you give us some ideas, John, to put on a PowerPoint presentation so we can show to the broadcaster that we thought about it, but actually no one's paying for it. No one's paying for it and no one cares. That, That was pretty much it, you know, not that long ago. I think that just changed, but there's no investment for it. So the 360 really is now, okay, you've got a TV show, but what's your? But what is your Roblox play? What is your Fortnite play? What is your app? What is your? Uh, what is your game? What is your books? Your licensing, your merchandising, all that other stuff. But like, where is all of that? Because and who's paying for it? Because you know there is no one paying for any of the digital content for Standing Ground. It's just been. It's it's a given. It's a it's assumed because we're the, you know we're we're yeah. the we're, we're, it's RIP that and we are going to go mad. We're going to go nuts on it. We're going to really go crazy on, on the digital stuff, but it'll be, you know, it'll be, it'll be be our cost. Uh, you know, but obviously we benefit from any, any returns that come back that way, but it's an investment decision that you have to make up front. You have to think about it. You can't just stick it on TV now and sit back and and wait for, uh, you know, and wait for money to roll in, you know, get season, get season two and then season three and then set up your master toy line and all that. It's just not, I just don't, I just don't think it works like that anymore.
0: No, 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 that's it. And do you think that that was, that played into your advantage, you know, when, when you were sort of pitching it that, you know, in terms of like, you know, digital products and taking it to other places, you know, do you think broadcasters were kind of thinking, well, was no. would be the place we'd go. I
1: honestly, don't think no. they were thinking that. I mean, I'd like to say, yeah. Uh, but, I mean we put together a forty-five slides digital strategy deck on like where we would take Stan and Ground and what, you know, what would be the, you know, what will we do on Alexa with Stan and Ground and what would you know, and all of that. But I don't think that I don't think that factors heavily into the decision making that goes on when you've been given a terrestrial commission. Because it, and it's not their fault either. It's like so many like people are what gobbling up gobbling up rights, left, right and centre that, you know, it's like, it's, yeah, it's, and, and the, and the, and the, the, kind of, you know, the advance that we've got from Milkshake is, is incredibly generous, uh, you know, uh, but across the piece advances that you get now from broadcasters, like compared, like now compared to 10 years ago, are, uh, aren't, they're not, they're not, they're not big. They're not, they're not big. So you have to make the shortfall up through either, you know, Co-productions, partnerships, or slicing and dicing up any rights that you've got in return for investment into the 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 show. So, so you have to be. I think you have to be a particular type of person to want to have a. You know, there there are there are lots of people I know who work in digital and streaming who will turn to me and say that the you know the lemon's just not worth the squeeze anymore with uh, terrestrial TV, Uh, and they may be right. But I want a, I want a TV show. I want to be on TV. I want I want Standing Ground to be on Milkshake, you know. I sat in front of Milkshake 17 years ago with a one-year-old between my legs, you know. Mum, 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 Milkshake, you know, and watching Pepper and all that stuff, and that's where I want my show to be, you know. I, I want it to be on there and go, wow, look, I can't. Our full circle, my life's gone. Actually, that channel that I watched with my my kids growing up has now got my show on it. Yeah, I mean, that's magic, isn't
0: it? Yeah, absolutely. I actually had uh, a similar experience just last weekend. I took my kids down to my parents' house, uh, which is about sort of hour and a half drive from where I live, and um, I'm always kind of saying, "Yeah, shall I put on, you know, Zombieville." That's that's our podcast, and my son, my oldest son's six now. Um, six and a half. So he's kind of at an age now where he can finally listen to it and enjoy it, you know. And I put it on in the car, and he's laughing at the jokes, and he's asking me, you know, what's the such and such going to do now? And he's, and it was kind of like the first time in about seven years of making the show where I had actually had instant feedback of, oh wow, this is actually, you know, kids actually like this.
1: That's your your why, right there, mate. Yeah, yeah. Difficult to. You know, when you work in digital, like we do mostly, I mean, I remember being on holiday uh, a couple of weeks ago and there was a, there was a kid at breakfast with his parents. Uh, They were a British couple and the noise coming out of their iPad was like driving me up the wall. Then I recognized the, the music. And I looked over and they were playing a Jojo and Grand Gang game that we built for uh, for, for CBBS. And I just I instantly was like, oh, that's fine. Yeah. I mean, usually I'd be like, you know, like giving the parent like a stern look saying, come on. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, it's breakfast time, you know. Yeah. Can't, you like,
0: can't, yeah, you
1: like, can't you turn the volume down a little bit? But I was like, oh, he's playing one of our games. That's fine. Yeah. Turn it <laughs> up. <laughs> so, yeah, but you don't very, but you very rarely see, see that because it's all digital. It's all out in the it's all ones and zeros it's all out of news like yeah. every now and again you know you get a bit of feedback either like you see someone playing a game or uh, yeah or quite often when Ellie was a bit younger she'd come home and say oh some kids at school have been playing your horrible history's game dad and they say it's really good I'm like oh great that's good thanks
0: <laughs> yeah that's no, amazing um, I'm, kind of, I'm wary I'm weary of your time uh, just now John yeah uh, so I was because I was I was going to kind of ask where, you know, um once it's been commissioned, uh so what was that uh the 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 point it got commissioned, was that sort of, you know, uh, again, was it at kids screen where that mm-hmm. happened or
1: uh, it well we did, yeah. I mean, there's actually at MIP, we had this uh me and Natalie had this uh it was this it's kind of crazy. If you can imagine a boardroom being sort of constructed inside a conference venue. So there's no ceiling, but you can hear the hubbub going on outside and we were, we were wheeled into pitch to Nickelodeon. And it was everybody from Nickelodeon round the table like US, Australia, you know Middle East, that everybody all the big wigs all sat around a table. and me and Natalie had to sort of pitch Stalingrad ground uh, there. And I think that was where, obviously, Milkshake's owned by Nickelodeon. Like that's kind of where we sort of we sealed the the deal, really. Well, that was I think we crossed the Rubicon, and we were like, right, we're in. And then Milkshake, uh, you know, gave it, gave us the commission. And Milkshake, they were, I mean, we had COVID in the middle of all this, so we we, we kind of we were sort of commissions subject to you know uh, finance. You know, we uh, a long time ago. You know, we had this bit of paper saying, Yeah, we we want the show, we're gonna commission it, uh, subject to finance. And then and then finding the finance was just a nightmare. That and that's probably the biggest challenge that anybody in out there will find is how do you find the money? Where do you find the money? How do you go about raising that finance? Because the broadcasters will only give you a percentage, and then you know, your co production partner will put in some and then you, you may have to put in some, uh, you know, and then you've got a, you know, you, your distributor might put in some and you can go do some pre-sales and you can sort of sell the show to some other broadcasters, but you have to be careful. You can't do too many pre-sales because then if you take, do too many, then your distributor is like, well, you've, you know, you've, sold, you know, like well, we're, we're selling the show internationally and you've sold it, you sold it to a third of the territories that we'd work in. So there's not, there's not enough in it for us so we're not we're going to reduce our our investment in it so it's all this it's kind of it's kind of money tetris it's like just like you know which is what i mean about like you know like what you're prepared to give up what you're not prepared to give up which is why when streamers came along about four or five years ago with these massive checkbooks and we're like yeah we'll fund we'll fund the whole thing you're like cool you know yeah but actually you know but actually for for giving you all the money we're going to take all this cheers we we'll have all these rights thank you very much you know so yeah you get your show made and it goes onto you know a streaming platform uh, but then you're not getting anything else you're not getting any digital game rights or publishing rights or any of those other rights because they've taken a lot so it's yeah it's yeah it's, it's a, it's an interesting journey. You know, I think, you know, that's why kids screen, which is really funny. You talk about kids screen. Well, at Kid screens, you always see these, the, the, these kind of like slightly crazy older people, uh, walking around with an IP idea because they've, they probably made their money in banking somewhere. And yeah. their, their granddaughters likes a bedtime story that grandpa tells. And he goes, you know what? I'm going to go to kids screen. And I wear a really zany shirt and I've got this really like <laughs> naff idea and I'm going to pitch it to the broadcasters because I've got loads of money uh, so I can almost afford to, like, like fund it. I remember one year there was a guy pitching to uh, a lovely lady called Helen, Mac- Helen McAleer, who's ex-Walker Books. Uh, she's a consultant on her own right now, but she's, uh, she's like, go- the go-to, you know, if you want, like, a really honest, frank sort of appraisal of, you know, your chances of getting your IP away, she's someone to talk to. And we were at this table, and this guy turned up with a multicolored shirt on that was like the flag of every nation on it, a waistcoat, uh, and, a, and a little ponytail. So the alarm bell started ringing <laughs> and then he got a flute out oh, no. and he started putting his flute together and we were like, what, what are you pitching, mate? And he's like, the, the magic, you're pitching the magic flute. Right. And we were like, yeah, yeah, we, 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 you don't need to play your flute. And he's like, no, no, no. And he was putting his flute, it was just, you know, and you get lots of those kind of people at, at Kids Green uh, just sort of uh, not crazy. That's probably unfair, but let's say incredibly eccentric Yeah, uh, people who, so in amongst all those lot and then your actual proper professionals and then you coming along with, you know, far to you rocking up with your IP, <coughs> it's quite, it's quite hard. So my bit of advice for people is to try and get yourself quite well known, uh, at kids kid screen, you know, put yourself about a bit, make sure people realize that you're, uh, you know, you're a, you're a serious, serious person. You're not, a, you know, you're not, a, yeah, you're, you're, not, a, you're, you're not, you're a the flip guy. It. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, people don't have a lot of time. Broadcasters don't have a lot of time, you know, and there's nothing worse than sitting down with a broadcaster and really wasting 15 minutes of their time where they could have been listening to a really great pitch.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So when is it going to
1: be on screens? Uh, the contract says April 2025, uh, first episodes. So uh, so then uh, is when it – so we start production in Feb. Uh, so we've got we've, – we've got, we're, we're we've got this luxury of having, you know, quite a long run-in to production, which means we can get writers in in place, we can start to – flesh out what the story beats of that, what the story springs might be for the first maybe 13 or 20 episodes. We can get a writer's room sort of start to think about what that might look like. Uh, yeah. So, which is, you know, and the reason, you know, I mean, I don't have the Tory government to thank for anything uh, at all. I don't want to get political, but I mean, the one thing that, that, that they have done is they've increased uh, an uplift in animation tax credits, which, I, I hate to say it, but without Rishi Sunak and the chance of changing that, I think that's kind of what got us over the line financially, because the we had the they had that uplift in tax animation credits that just closed the gap. That meant we we were fully funded and we could go into production. Uh, which is why we're not starting until Feb, because uh, they don't kick in until April next year. So
0: yeah, I mean it's about time they recognised the value that the creative industries. Is actually bringing to the UK economy. So I saw that then a few weeks ago, but that is that is good news.
1: Yeah, it is. It is great news. It is great news. You know, I mean, they could recognise a whole heap of other stuff, but let's not get into that. Yeah, probably. yeah. Excellent. So,
0: um, yeah, before before we wrap up, then um, what what's the kind of future plans then for for Jolly Wise? I mean, uh, I imagine it's kind of more more of the of, of of the same really or do you have you know where do you kind of see the company going in the next five ten years
1: uh, it's really weird because i uh i really love what we do and i i i i think it's fair to say and, and and if you ask any of my team i might have i was probably i'd fallen out of love with the company maybe four or five years ago we, we it was very we had, you know uh, I had a, I had a shareholder, uh, like a lot of shareholder stories, uh, we had very conflicting views on the way the company should be run, uh, or how, how it would work. And, you know, during lockdown, we kind of came to an agreement, uh, that, you know, uh, that, that he would, he would leave, uh, and he left. And, uh, and what that did is kind of, it gave me a sort of re-energized me a little bit. It was terrifying to get the business back. Because he he had a lot of the levers of the business, and uh, uh, to get the company back, and then to actually to put my money where my mouth is, really, and actually de- prove and demonstrate that I can run the company effectively, and actually, I've really, I've really, I'm really loving it right now. I, we're doing a lot of really fun stuff. We're moving into some really really interesting areas. Having said all of that, I'm 54, right? So you know, standing ground is kind of you know, was part of my sort of retirement strategy uh, uh, at one point. You know that I would have a successful digital production company that was doing really well and making good money, and you know, paying everyone's wages and paying me a stipend. And standing ground would be the thing that I would sort of retire and sort of noodle with that. And uh, you know, while whilst living on a living in a in a little place in Cornwall and rowing my boat across the estuary. Uh, that, that's, you know, that's the, that was the, that's the, that was the dream. Uh, I don't know. I don't know where that is right now. I, uh, I have a really great leadership team at Jollywise and I'm trying to grow that team, uh, give that team more experience, uh, you know, make myself a little less important to the company's sort of overall being. uh, you know, be less very hard to, to, to get, it's very hard to, to, to get out of the way of yourself at times when you've got a company, you know, so it's learning to get my, out of the way to allow people who are be- better than I am to, to actually sort of take the company forward. Uh, and, and my role hopefully is there is just to maintain that structure, you know, and to be there when they've got, you know, Big big problems that need need a, need an answer or a solution, but that's that's the plan is to grow that leadership team, so that they sort of take ownership of the company. And then what that looks like, I mean, does that mean an acquisition for Jolly Wise? Maybe does it mean a merge? Maybe does it mean we stay as we are? Maybe does it mean the company buys management buyout? I don't I don't really know what that looks like at the moment. All I know is I'm having a lot of fun, uh, but I also know that I'm 54, and at some point you know, I like, I need to get off the merry-go-round because running a creative services business is a merry-go-round. It is, it's a little hand to mouth. It's a little bit, you're only as good as your last gig. You're, you're constantly looking at your pipeline for Q1, Q2, Q3, Q4, you know, what money's coming in, what money's going out, uh, you know, uh, all of that stuff. And, and, you know, I've been doing that since 20, 2006. And it's, it's, it can, it's knackering. It's, you know, it is knackering and you have to get back up on the saddle, on the horse every year and go, okay, we didn't do well this financial year, but let's, let's go again, you know? Uh, and you know, we've, we've never, we've never, we've never gone. We've never lost money, uh, in the, in the entire time I've been running the company, but we've had years where they've not been great. And we've had years where they, it's been really great. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, I mean that's a whole other podcast i think like yeah. how do you maintain how do you maintain that kind of passion and that uh you know running a creative services business for 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 as long as uh, as i have uh yeah it's and i think it's because i love it I, and yeah. i think it's because we're working kids and we get to work on new cool stuff really regularly uh uh that's probably why uh yeah
0: Well, before we let you go, uh, John, we have a kind of closing question on this podcast that we ask everyone. Um, And that is, if you could be remembered for one thing, what would that be? Um, Now, it could be personal, it could be business, it can be both.
1: Uh, I I think a storyteller. I think anyone who knows me well enough... Will know that I've I I probably got a story or an anecdote to fit most occasions, uh, you know. Some of them probably not for public consumption. <laughs> some, some some of them are. Uh, but yeah, I'd like to be remembered as as a as a storyteller, and probably a a, a nice guy despite himself. You know, I you know I, it, you know, I, I, I am often labelled by people as being a little bit a bit grumpy but it's i'm really not grumpy i have a i have an absolutely huge heart i just uh I, it's just i have a kind of re- resting resting asshole face i think <laughs> is the you know and i don't uh, and it's absolutely yeah uh yeah i love telling stories i love making people laugh i just need to tell my own face that sometimes so but that's what i like to be remembered for
0: fantastic well i think you're going the way the right way about it i mean having you know a show commissioned and and you know and, and, and going to be a milkshake i think there'll be a lot of people who would you know dream to have that kind of success in their life so yeah this has been an well, absolute thanks, right. yeah yeah yeah
1: no, no, no problem those, yeah it's very i i'm very difficult at putting things to, into perspective I, I i always there's always feels like there's a life's always felt like there's a bend in the road for me and like it's always like what's around the the corner, and quite often it's sort of. I forget to sort of sit on the bench and just have a look at the bend and go. Well, let's have a look at where I have come from. I'm always like looking at what's around the corner, and actually, you know, yeah. So when people sort of when you say things like that, it sort of stops in my track a little bit and go, yeah, well, actually, yeah, I've, I've I'm, I've done all right, haven't I? I'm doing I'm doing all right, and I've done all right. Yeah, I, I th- need to get off a break at times. I think so I think
0: is uh, creative people. We quite often don't stop to recognize what we've achieved because we're always thinking about what's next what can I do here's an idea you know um yeah I think I think you know it's it's a lot of people probably think that same way Of you know if I just stop for a minute and look at what you have achieved so
1: yeah, been, a you stop for a minute and you're going to atrophy and it's yeah. all going to go, it's all going to go away. Yeah, you know, just yeah, just sort of like run out of your hands like sand. It's like, oh, creative <laughs> juice is gone, <laughs> yeah. So, true. Yeah. yeah, well, right. Well, look, Stephen, really nice to, to, yes. to talk, talk to you. Uh, uh yes. are you gonna record in a minute and then we'll, uh, I yeah, ask questions off camera?
0: Absolutely, yeah. So, um, yeah, thanks so much for joining us, been an absolute pleasure, John. Um, yeah, thanks again.
1: Well, thanks for inviting me. We, really, uh, yeah, it's, I've really enjoyed it. I didn't know what I was, yeah, I hadn't prepared what anything. What you were yeah. in for. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. Awesome, thank you.